Thanks for joining us at Colts to Consciousness. This storytelling podcast is meant to be for entertainment purposes only and does not substitute for any medical advice. We may discuss triggering topics and we ask that you make your personal mental health a priority. Lastly, the opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the host. It's almost like, you know, the whole thing of me being in Nexium was an ethical breach that I had to fix. Wow. And feeling guilty and beating myself up about making the decision and bringing in so many people and making such a huge, colossal, public fuck-up. Hey, my name is Shalise Ansola, and this is Cults to Consciousness, where we discuss leaving high-demand religions and organizations and finding healing and independence through awareness and true individual sovereignty. If you're listening only, you're going to want to see our faces. Head on over to my YouTube channel at Cults to Consciousness. It would really mean a lot if you could like and subscribe and leave your comments. Um, If you have any suggestions on people that we should interview next, leave it below and you may just be featured in another episode. Today's guest is such a treat for me. I look up to this woman in so many ways. She is the main whistleblower, the one that really started the snowball effect of taking down the cult Nexium. So it is a wellness cult that turned very culty, her wellness group that turned very culty, and it got to the point where they were branding women, sex trafficking, really, really awful stuff. You may have seen her and her husband on The Vow, which is a show on HBO Max that goes into depth. They actually have two whole seasons, guys. There's so much content to watch on this cult. It's incredible. And after that, they started their own podcast called A Little Bit Culty, which is just, my goodness, I look up to this podcast so much. I aspire to be like a little bit culty. So I'm so happy and thrilled to welcome to the show Sarah Edmondson. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. This is going to be fun. I know it. It's going to be so much fun. I mean, we have similar goals. I mean, you could say the same goals, just to expose culty things and to warn people about the red flags and to just help them find their own sovereignty and find their healing and find peace and real, true happiness, not the culty kind. Absolutely. I think we have parallel podcasts. (laughs) Yes. So... With your podcast, you have a segment. It's called What Chaps My Ass or What Chaps Your Ass. And I just love it so much. Um, In fact, that actually inspired my Linda Listen moment, which we will do later. But just to like start the fire and to get you riled up, get me riled up and get us (laughs) launched into this culty discussion. What is something that chaps your ass, Sarah? Well, you know, that's a great question. It's it's changed a lot over the years in terms of um, what's currently bothering me right now, uh, especially in the aftermath of season two, whereas if you've watched it, you can see that there's people who are still loyal and loyal to Keith Raniere. And I think what chaps my ass the most is that there was a tenant in Nexium, and I think this is a across the board when we look at other pod, uh, other groups that have a personal development or even a spiritual uh, slant versus maybe religion or like yoga or actually yoga groups have a lot of this too, but there's this whole concept of personal responsibility and a lot of groups, um, have a, the helpful part of it is not having a victim mentality where if something happens, you can look to see your role in something and your responsibility. And that can be a really potent mental switch for a lot of people. The bad part of it is that it allows it makes it um, an environment really ripe for abuse because mm-hmm. the the person who has the the power over the underlings can always say, "Well, what 
not take responsibility and say you're being a victim, for example. So what's chapping my ass right now is that in this environment where we were always it, the question was always thrown back to us like well how did you cause it how did you author it what's your role in this what's your responsibility uh questions like what do you lose by being right so you never want to be right or righteous you'd always want to look to see mm. beyond what you originally perceived in a in a situation which again could be helpful but also was always flipped back on you so now i'm in we're in the situation where the same people who have touted this the party line for so long for so long are a accusing me of being a victim and victimizing myself for you know the book deal for all the fame and celebrity that comes with being a whistleblower because that's great but then are also victimizing themselves to the legal system so they're now a victim to a grand conspiracy that the FBI planted evidence and everyone's out to get yeah. them and nobody understands Keith Raniere and the leadership and I mean, it's just a, such a huge double standard. You can't have it both ways. That chaps my ass. Yeah, that chaps my ass too. Watching <laughs> season one and especially season two where they were showing footage of classes, which by the way, let me just preface this by saying Keith, <laughs> Keith Ranieri, he's the leader of the group. He basically invented Nexium with Nancy and it's just so funny that he thought he was so amazing and everyone should hear every single thing that he said. They recorded every conversation, any interaction that he had with people. So the footage is just, there are mounds of footage, which makes sense why HBO was like, let's get on that because we just have to edit this together. <laughs> There's like yep. barely anything that they have to do to create a TV show because it's all there and it's so damning. Yep. And I think the funniest thing is the fact that he's like well we'll have footage so if anyone says we're doing something wrong they'll be able to review the tapes and it's like didn't mm. work out how you planned did it <laughs> yeah not maybe not the smartest man in the world after all maybe not yeah so he he has this footage talking about how there are no victims and they even oh my gosh this part just really got to me and also because i am myself a victim of sexual abuse but talking about age of consent and what is sexual abuse they are just saying that it is not a thing yeah. like oh well if they are adult like it's not really abuse is it and if the child didn't know it was wrong at the time maybe it wasn't wrong and i was losing my mind sarah yeah i i was actually talking about this in another interview recently that it's it's horrible obviously and it, it what's even sneakier about it is that it wasn't as overt or obvious when we were in training it was and I don't, I don't want to say it was taken out of context because that makes me sound like I'm being defensive because it's not it's not what I'm saying I'm saying is that the way that that was presented was in a slew of other boundary testing things that mm. weren't controversial <laughs> and that was sort mm -hmm. of slipped in so it's like you know here let's I, I'm just riffing because like, I remember that briefly, but that wasn't a point that was taught. Like, that wasn't something that we were like, you know, we take personal responsibility and we believe in underage sex. It wasn't like that at all. Right, it right. was like a lot of our, our curriculum was about have what we thought was understanding our own ethics and our own, like, if you get into a situation where you have to decide, you know, like thought experiments. Are you going to save – like, is it okay to, for example – 
if you believe in not if you believe you're not going to murder somebody, would you murder a gunman who is about to murder a bunch of children? Right? Like you're you're playing out. Right. Okay, let's say you get into that situation. You say you'd never kill anyone, but you could shoot this gunman and save a school full of children. Obviously. Right. Well, at least for me, I'm not going to say what it would be for yeah. you. So you'd be having these conversations or things about even abortion and, you know, when does life exist and when would you like under what circumstance would you and what wouldn't you? And and so there's all these so many of these and to be honest, laborious conversations. That was one of them is like, how do these laws get defined and what is consent? And now I know is that the, that particular conversation and also the abortion one, those were designed for people in the inner circle to basically get comfortable with what he was doing to them. Right? So like, I never clocked it. I'm so glad you brought that up because I was going to say, okay, do we think that it was supposed to be like a thought experiment or do you think Keith was grooming everybody oh, to no, be he was okay grooming with them. his shenanigans? He was grooming... Oh, no, totally. He was grooming them. I'm not saying he wasn't. I'm just saying it wasn't as obvious as it was in the documentary. <laughs> you know what of I mean? Course. Like, of course. When, we're watching the do- when you're watching the documentary, um, it's like it's embarrassing because it makes us look like we're going, yes, yay, there's no consent and, you know, free for all. It was I never had that thought that that was OK. Do you know what yeah. I mean? But I know yeah. now that for the people that were around him, especially the young women, they were being groomed and, and indoctrinated to think, well, if I'm a, I'm 15 and I'm mature and I'm an adult and I can choose this and it's okay if I, if we, I consent and I'm consenting, but there's a reason why there's laws around consent because brain's not even full, fully developed. Anyway, all those right. things. But yeah, my point is, is that, um, there's many things, even the one, there's a quote, um, in season two about him talking about like when someone claims victimhood that they are the abuser. Right. Do you remember that? Right. And that was I was in that training. That's when I was starting to wake up slowly. And that I happened to know was for people to wrap their head around because Bonnie had left first. Right. Bonnie had left. And in that framework was claiming to be a victim. Yeah. So we were like, well, she's the one who's being abusive because she's not a victim. Right. So like that that was for Mark, like that particular awareness shift that he was trying to give people was for Mark Vicente so he would stay and for people around him to make sure he didn't didn't go so now I know (sighs) the curriculum he created was was to manipulate people as he needed to manipulate so if you weren't if you weren't in that situation you'd be like oh this is just another thought experiment (laughs) there have been times I'm sure where somebody has claimed to be a victim who was not Mm -hmm. right but that's not what's happening here. <laughs> right? So if you if you like if you show that and then people are like, "Oh yeah, that's terrible when people do that." Then it deflects from it actually happening. Yeah. And I want to quickly talk about for people who aren't familiar, which go watch the show and <laughs> listen to Sarah Nippy's podcast, but um who Keith Raniere is as a cult leader because also calling out the characteristics of him might help people see cult characteristics and somebody else that they may be following. And I think the most interesting things right off the bat for me were the fact that he was a self-proclaimed genius, uh, a concert pianist, and all of these things that turned out not to be true, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's he's inflating his, his ego and saying, oh, I'm amazing and you should follow me because I'm brilliant and I have the highest IQ or whatever it was that convinced people to want to follow him. He took it a step further in that he he had a faux humble quality. He never said anything about 
being this, like all those things you said, he never said it. He got what we call the, the flying monkeys, right? You know, that term from the narcissism for, if anyone's listening, it doesn't know it's from, from uh, wizard of Oz, how the wicked witch had her flying monkeys do her dirty work. So he had her, his flying monkeys or what we call the Greek chorus around him touting his credentials. So, and he would even Mm. say things like, you know, even the the test that I took to establish my IQ, <clears throat> you know, two forty or whatever it is, is, that is, you know, it's a measure. It's a it's a measurement, but it doesn't, you know, like so he would it it would be more like a humble display of, uh, or even like even the name guru. He'd be like, well, I, I you know, I, how can I be a guru? I mean, I I'm I you guys can't even complete your goals. So clearly, I'm a terrible guru. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it was sort of this. Uh you know, like not really owning the title, but everyone else around him gave him the title of Vanguard. And if you didn't call him Vanguard or some people called him casually V, um, then it would, you'd get in trouble for not paying tribute for what he'd built. Yeah. So it was, it was enforced tacitly around him. So that's something I would say is a red flag. It, let's say I said, referred to him as Keith, which you could do out of class or out in certain contexts, but in the classroom setting, if I said Keith versus Vanguard, somebody might pull me aside and say, um, what's going on for you that you don't feel comfortable to use his formal title? Wow. Right? And it would be like, oh, God, what did I uh, – What I, I don't know. Um, what did I do? What was going on for me? I don't know. Um, ooh, maybe I have authority. Yes, I have authority issues. I and mean, like you'd want to come up with something. So you'd like you'd want to like show that you're taking this this fault very responsibly. Things like that. You wouldn't be punished, like spanked. But <laughs> where did Vanguard actually come from? I, I think the meaning is a little funny. And then I want you to tell everyone what Nexium actually means or where that came from. Sure. Well, as you know, uh, not everyone will know, but I'll say that he loved practical jokes. And there's with all the things, there's what we were told something meant and then what it actually meant. And Vanguard, if you look it up, is like the. The, like the forefront or the leader of a, and in this case, a philosophical movement. There's, you know, Vanguard painting and Vanguard real estate. Like the name Vanguard is like the, the forefront, um, the leader, right? And so in that context, we're like, okay, sure, that's that's what it means. But Vanguard was also like a character, I think, in a video game that he used <laughs> to play in the '80s. So I think he just like pulled it from that. Um, and the Nexium, we were told. Was a was a made up word that was like a merge of of Greek and Latin that was was supposed to be something about like a meeting place for education and and community or something like that. Great, that sounds really nice. But then uh, Bonnie actually found out when she did some research that if you look up the from the root word nexum, it has to do with Roman times, but refers to debt bondage, which means like having a, a slave for for all time. <laughs> wow. So yeah, this is yeah, and and like that explains a few things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say that that checks out. Yeah. <laughs> so Keith has this very interesting persona. Uh, through most of the videos, he had long Jesus hair, and he's kind of dorky looking. But everyone is just falling all over him, and and hanging on his every word. And I found that so interesting. And I I think you've mentioned in a few places that when you first met Keith, you were like, uh. Like this is this guy's a little like this is the guy. This is a little weird. At what point did that change for you, or did that change for you? I mean, I think over time 
firstly, as he cleaned up, you know, he went from being long haired and super uber dorky with like knee pads and, and like volleyball gear um, and like sweatbands. And you've seen pictures of that, I'm sure, from the early days. And eventually he had like a, you know, the, they were cleaning up his image to rebrand, uh, no pun intended. And they cut <laughs> his hair and they put him in nice shirts and jeans, like nice jeans. And he looked more distinguished. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, there there was a lot of people when I, in retrospect, that when I first met, I would never have for various, some superficial and other values, like just people I never would be friends with because we're just so different, you know, and you just wouldn't have connected with that. You ended up kind of having to be friends with, and that was the case with a lot of people. Um, and if you didn't like somebody, you often ha would have to get an EM, or in this case, it was called a projection sourcing, where you would get your because what, what, whatever you didn't like in someone was was always pointed back to a part of you you didn't like that you're projecting onto them, mm -hmm. right? So like if you didn't – if you reacted to somebody or like felt repulsed by them in any way, it was just an opportunity to like work on yourself and to grow. So ultimately, I mean, I, I had sourcings and EMs on so many people, including um, Claire Bronfen actually is somebody who like I never liked and I just thought was – a mean and horrible person but of course that if you said that then that means i'm a mean and horrible person oh right so you'd have to be careful about what you express so i, I guess my point is is that i kind of just got used to people that it, i didn't necessarily want to be around yeah and also i didn't have to be around him that much i lived in vancouver i'd come to trainings i'd maybe see him once in a trip or twice. The only time I spent more like intimate time with him in terms of like not in that setting was we all went to Fiji. Oh. In my last my the year before I left. Yeah, we went I don't talk about this too much. I went to Fiji um uh, because Pam, his now we know his life partner was dying, which I did know that she was dying and her request was to get the higher ranks to the island and like just to be together. And it was a great trip and we got to I kind of got to see him a little bit like off hours, you know, or not, that's not the word, um, off duty. Oh, right. Did his persona change? It did. Yeah. He was more casual and he was a little bit like, I remember Nippy, cause one of the reasons Nippy went is because he was helping to build SOP, the man's group. And we thought that we'd be doing more work there. Like Nippy and I were like, let's, you know, use this time to move things forward. And Nippy's like, why did I come all the way? It was expensive. Like, why did I come all this way and spend all this money if we he pointed out that Keith was like very juvenile, like just like a frat boy kind of like innuendos and, you know, just was in a casual in a way that we'd never seen him before. And now that I've seen the vow season two, it makes sense because that's sort of what he was used to, just sitting around on couches and have women fawn at him and stare into their eyes, his eyes and like <laughs> serve him right hand and foot we hadn't seen yeah. that we hadn't seen like wow. that we weren't privy to that like when we saw that stuff in the vow both one and two we were just like oh my god if i'd seen that in person i don't know i don't know what it, i don't know what i would have done i would i would hope that i would have left sooner yeah then we wouldn't be having this conversation probably and they, he'd still be yeah. back in albany getting you know what? Oh, no. Well, that seems to be the case with a lot of different cults. It's like, well, if I would have known, if I would have known what Joseph Smith did in the Mormon church, I would have been like, mm -hmm. yeah, no, I'm good. Like, there's always some sort of sexual deviance among these cult leaders that the general population of that cult has no idea about. It's just so carefully hidden. Yeah. 
it's so interesting how modern day cults can actually survive in this technological era with all of the mm. information that we have at our fingertips. So there's a two, it's a two part question here. The first mm -hmm. is, how did you feel like Nexium was a religious thinking? And then the second part that I want to get into is how it's so easy to fall into these traps because of the ways that they manipulate manipulate you and cause you to have different different perspectives that don't set off your red flags. Where, like you were saying, they tell you everything that you're thinking is your fault or a projection. Or um, what I noticed is they they definitely tend to push down your emotions. They don't validate your feelings. They just say, well, why do you feel that way? And it's probably you're wrong for feeling that way. So you don't actually feel your feelings. You don't listen to your intuition. So I know that's like a really big question. But <laughs> first question, why do you think they can survive in this technological era? I think there's I'm, I don't have the statistics, but my instinct is that they are falling apart and thriving all at the same time, uh, partly because of docuseries like The Vow and Wow, Wow mm -hmm. Country and Holy Hell and all the things. And by the way, quick thing I'll say, um, we have on our website, littlebitculty.com slash resources, a lot of recommendations for um, books and movies and podcasts and therapists. And, and um, you might want to take a look at that for your audience too. Yes. But it so the golden age of cult awareness, I think, is if anything, in some ways, slowing down the recruitment, especially with things like Scientology. Like Scientology, mm -hmm. I don't feel like is growing. Um, they're not able to recruit as easily because of technology and social media and and all the shows that are out there. That being said, because of COVID and people being more isolated and being lonely and wanting to community and being able to find things easily through technology and social media, it also other ones are growing. And a lot of things I think are growing in the space of, at least from what we've, what we've seen from people reaching out to us, uh, things are growing in the space of, um, <clears throat> you know, like, a, uh, you know, online coaches and gurus and, and people who are, you know, influencers turned like health experts, um, yeah. and, and people who are spirit, you know, spiritual gurus and people who are, you know, ha really have no credentials except that they're charismatic and, you know, are are emulating a lifestyle that draws people in. So if I'm looking for something and I and I go to somebody's page and I see that they like this other person and, and they follow them, they, it gives them um, instant street cred. And then that person is now um, drawn to somebody who who's not going to do the research and just think, well, if so-and-so is endorsing so-and-so, uh, which is terrible because I follow people that I totally don't endorse. I just want to see what they're up to. I just mm -hmm. want to keep tabs on them. You know, and pe yeah. people have messaged me, do you know that you follow somebody who's blah, blah, blah? I'm like, yeah, I'm, I want to know what they're doing. I'm not endorsing yeah. them. But unfortunately, in social media, that means if you follow someone, it means you're following them. Mm -hmm. Right? And that following... Uh, aspect is culty because it it can it can yield a, a level of um, credentials or street cred that's not actually accurate so in answer to your question things are thriving and falling apart all at the same time depending on what the group is yeah and the way that they recruit you is by selling you something great and selling you a promise and selling you hope and i want to i want to speak to that because i can only imagine the difficulty that you faced after 
everything came out in the media, people saying, well, how did you not figure it out? Like, didn't you know that getting branded was not a good thing? It's not that mm. simple. And and I can speak to that a little as well, because I was born and raised in a cult. And you just don't mm-hmm. see it because it's it's what you do. And it's what the people around you do. And it's part of your culture. And it makes sense to you until it doesn't. So I want to get your perspective on what are the things that kind of de-armed you and what are the things that other people can look out for when going into these self-help groups to make sure that it doesn't get on the culty side? Yes. And please bookmark it if I don't come back to it. But just one thing I wanted to say about like with the branding, um, part of me knew that it wasn't right. Absolutely. Yeah. And there was yeah. another part of me that – and this is where it's – it's in addition to what you said, it's what you do and it's your culture. There was – this had been set up. Keith had set this up for a long time. He had set up with indoctrination, with beliefs, just like the other things you mentioned earlier. There was beliefs that I had from the classes, one of them being that women are flaky. We don't mm-hmm. keep our word. We need to learn discipline. And we're always looking for the back door. Even if we get married, we're like, well, we can always get divorced. And so in the moment of me deciding whether to go through with the branding or not, I had that in my head going, oh, this is what I've been, this is, I am literally looking for a back door right now. I'm actually looking yeah. for the back door to get the F out of here. And I said, I was going to do this and I'm going to do it. And so then I'm gaslighting myself. And I think that's what a lot of these groups do is the indoctrination is so deep and so strong. They don't even need leadership around. And a lot of the people that we've talked to from other groups, other religions, other everything, they taught a through line is, is that even when your higher up, your authority, your coach, your guru, your whatever, your abuser isn't there, you have their voice in their head keeping mm-hmm. you in line. And so that was a huge part of why I stayed on the table. In fact, the branding didn't even wake me up. It was finding out, you know, weeks later that the symbol wasn't a symbol for the elements, but was Keith's initials yeah. and a monogram on my body. That's what woke me up. Uh, and now I forget your question that I didn't answer. What was it that the group instilled in you that made you not recognize the red flags right away? I think a lot of it was like the mental reframing. And it was very sociological. And, and what were the specific tactics that you found later to be like, oh, like you said, um, hmm. women are flaky. And yeah. I think being at cause or you cause this to happen hmm. to yourself. What were some of the things that you found specifically in Nexium that did that for you? Yeah, and I, I've seen this in a lot of groups is that the very first thing is that – and this happened on, on the first day of my training, which was that we all agreed that we were there. We'd spent money to work on ourselves, and that meant that we were going to feel uncomfortable. And we agreed that if we felt uncomfortable, we'd stick it through, which there's truth in that. You know, I, I do real therapy now, and, and looking at yourself can be uncomfortable, um, and you kind of – you have to, you know – no pain, no gain. There's truth in that in the world. But the problem is, is that it's mixed with overriding your gut instinct. Everything in mm-hmm. my gut instinct, even on day one of my training, was to leave. From the power suits to Nancy's eyebrows to the location. <laughs> Nancy's eyebrows. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Calling Keith Vanguard. All the things were like, those are huge red flags. But I was like, well, I'm uncomfortable. And I'd also accepted the fact that um, this was a, a hierarchy where they knew something that I didn't which I think is another thing that makes people very ripe for abuse if they're entering something where the, your higher ups can always hold power over you because you're saying you're in charge. Mm-hmm. Like you said at the beginning of your podcast, the sovereign, you hand over your sovereignty. Mm-hmm. And to a degree, 
like I'm, I'm watching this with my son right now. He's learning basketball. He's learning football. He has to hand over something to his coaches to say, teach me, you know, I, I, I need to learn from you. Um, but if that person has bad intentions, that can easily be manipulated that power over somebody. So I think one of the very first things that happened is that I gave over my power and said this uncomfortable feeling, I, if I, if I, I mean, if I knew what I knew now, I would, I probably wouldn't have even signed up. I would have felt my gut instinct um, tell me it was just not a good thing when they were pressuring me to sign the paperwork to sign up. Mm-hmm. Had I got to the first class on day one, I would have said, I'm not calling this guy Vanguard. I'm not bowing to him. I've never met him. You want me to pay tribute to somebody I've never met? Fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not following your rules. But then, but the thing is, is that people who did that were kicked, you know, were asked to leave. You know, now I know they're weeding out anyone that wasn't going to be a sheep. I was a total sheep. But also you were coming from a place of wanting to better yourself. Mm -hmm. So I know a lot of people, and I've gotten this too with Mormonism, they're like, really, you believed that? I mean, we believe some crazy stuff in Mormonism. Um, the thing is, though, they they find the people who want to better themselves. They find the people that are actively looking to help others. And so you can't demonize someone who just has a big heart and who wants mm-hmm. to succeed. You wanted to succeed in acting. And that's something I can relate to because mm-hmm. I'm working on the acting things. I mean, you're a very successful actress. I'm working on the acting thing I as well. I don't know about that. And <laughs> I've, I mean, I remember um, years ago, I was in line for like a background company and they had Scientologists passing out flyers to the actors that were like, you want to be a successful actor? Join our class. And for a brief second, I was like, hmm, maybe I could learn something. Maybe I, you know, because we want to be better and we want to be successful. So I just want to illustrate to everyone listening, watching that it's not just the vulnerable people that they take advantage of. It's the smart ones. It's the ones who have big passions, big goals and big dreams. And it's so easy to slip into something like that. And you don't realize it's bad until it's really bad. And until usually you have an emotional break or a piece of information comes out that totally just blows your mind. But even then, even when you're confronted with things like I was in Mormonism where people say, don't you know that Joseph Smith used a, a rock and a hat to translate? I'm like, that's not true. That's just ex-Mormon propaganda. And I think the same mm-hmm. thing happened with you, people coming to you going, but didn't you see this article about how Nexium is a cult? And it's really easy to dismiss something that you've been so indoctrinated into. What are your thoughts on that? Sure. Yeah. And also depends on on the intelligence level of the leadership. And you know, Keith was always ahead of the game. He he even said, you know, when you're changing the world and shifting humanity, there's going to be people who try to take you down. What's the worst possible thing you can call somebody, a man especially, a pedophile? So we had heard that even before there was any media about that. Wow. Yeah. And so when that happened in 2012, there was a big um, – news article that came up in the local press, which I didn't even read because the other thing he did was to say there's a, there was another tenet, which is about speaking with honor, and that when you speak about someone, you you speak about them in the most honorable way, and that when you talk shit about somebody – I can swear on this? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. I check after the fact. Um, when you talk shit about somebody, you're like – it's a, literally an act of violence. So wow. if I was to speak about our mutual friend um, – 
Bob and maybe I, you know, you could say, yeah, he's a total asshole and he like stole money from me or whatever. I, I could say that or I could say something more honorable, which is that, you know, he's somebody who's really struggling with his emotions and, you know, there has been allegations that there was an incident at work. Like you can, you can speak in ways that are, that are more honoring of a person. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But it also, prote- it protected Keith from any negative anything. Like if I was to say like, Keith seems a little bit like, you know, like just like a normal schlubby dude. Like that would, you couldn't say that because it would, that would not be speaking with honor. Mm-hmm. Right. So when there was something that, that came out, it was like, this is the most dishonorable thing. Don't even read it because it'll change your, they called it a thought object. So like you have a thought object of me based on what you've seen in the media or my book or whatever. You know what I mean? Like you have a thought. So if if you read something negative about me or even even something not true that like I'm into roller skating, roller skating is now in your thought object of Sarah, whether it's Mm -hmm. true or not. So this is Mm -hmm. the example we gave. So he's like, if you read that article, whether it's true or not, you'll have it in your thought object of Keith that I'm a pedophile. (laughs) So don't even read it. Yeah. So wow. it, I didn't even read it, but there was there there's some things that I had read and Nippy and I were just talking about this today because no no legal action was taken in the district and no investigation happened. That to us was just proof that no wrong had been done. Like if any of this was true, then why wasn't there an investigation or why hadn't he been arrested? Right. Like clearly it was just a, it was just a smear campaign. So all the things that we talked about in class set us up for like really not taking that seriously. Yeah, that makes sense. And that's the classic information control where not only do they control the information that you have about the group, but they actively demonize you if you even dare to look outside of that information. Yeah. And it basically creates this impenetrable bubble around you where people can come at you with facts and look at this. This is in your own resources. And and this person said this and no, he did that. And this actually happened to me. And it's so hard to let that in because you're already indoctrinated into believing that nothing bad could ever happen about this person or there's no way that that could be true. Yeah. And I think the other thing that he did was this thing about like, they like they, it was about your experience so they'd say i mean is that your experience of keith and that wasn't my experience of keith oh wow yeah and so now there's people oh you've seen the loyalists they're saying that's just not my experience and so the, imagine how many victims they have to deny their truth and their pain to hold on to that narrative well yeah. i didn't experience it well i don't I didn't experience hitler i don't need to experience the the death camps to believe what happened there like mm-hmm. did i answer your question yeah <laughs> yeah that was great <laughs> okay. one of the things that really struck me this is really like a modern day religion or was because keith ranieri's behind mm-hmm. bars thanks in huge part to you sarah mm-hmm. but i think it's interesting that he even he borrowed things like penance where you have to punish yourself if you do something wrong, which is just another way of saying if you're sinning, then you're punishing yourself. Mm -hmm. What was that like for you? Well, you know, I wasn't raised religious, so I didn't have that word in my arsenal. I mean, I'd heard it. Um, For the people who were religious, they were, you know, it either worked for them or it didn't work for them, depending on their experiences. But ultimately, 
that's when things start to ramp up with those penances and things that they had this like concept ethical breach. This is in season two. Those concepts had been mentioned, but they started to become more serious. So people were working on evolving their breach, evolving their life issue, having penances to keep themselves in check on evolving these things. And to be honest, I, and I've learned this about myself. I have always been like a, like a good girl and I didn't want to rock the boat. I didn't push back, but I didn't do the things I was supposed to do. So I, I actually started to kind of fudge things a little bit. And, and what I recognize now is I was taking the good, taking the things I wanted from it. And I was in Vancouver. I didn't have anyone overseeing me. I didn't have anybody over my shoulder, except when people came out to take, you know, to teach a training. And then I was on my best behavior. But generally, I was just sort of doing my own thing and making it my own. And, you know, I'd be like, yeah, I did my penance. And there's a lot of, there was a lot of like, just ridiculous, time consuming, make work, crazy making grunt work projects, like entering the data of the hours that you'd spent coaching people and all these things that just took so much time. And we were supposed to do it and report in on it. And I just realized that nobody was checking because mm. everyone was so busy doing their own things. So I just yeah. was like, yeah, I did it. I did this. I did that. I did my penance. And then we started doing penances for other people. Like we were in a group. So if someone didn't follow through on their goals, we'd have to do a penance for them so that they'd feel the pain of somebody else inconveniencing oh themselves for their failure. failure. Yeah. So I would be like, yes, I – got up at two in the morning and did a five minute plank for you or whatever. But like, I didn't do it. <laughs> I, <laughs> I love that. that you I was a naughty, <laughs> naughty, naughty student. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I'm sure there's other things. Um, so with me, it's taken so long to unwind the sexual shame and the be humble and be pure and be worthy and all of these things from Mormonism. And what I noticed with Nexium is it's very problem solution. So they say, oh, you don't think you have a problem? Let's dive into that. And they would find a problem. And then they were the only ones that could offer the solution. So you mentioned in your book how you were just constantly trying to fix yourself. And also the part in your book where you you wanted to move on from Orange Sash and they basically stuck you there for three years, was it? I don't even remember now. Way too so, long. <laughs> a very long time. <laughs> it was so frustrating when I'm listening, which, by the way, I highly recommend listening because mm-hmm. I liked hearing your narration of it. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Where they initially said, oh, you just have to check these boxes and you'll be promoted. You'll be moved up. Yeah. And then you did all those things and they're like, nope, you're just not ready. And it was all just conjecture. Like, mm-hmm. who's to say that you were ready or not? And that's what drives me crazy about next. That's one. That's one of the twenty five thousand things that drive me crazy. Is they create <laughs> yeah. these problems Ditto. that don't exist, and then tell you that they have to fix them for you. So mm-hmm. with this whole self improvement, it just becomes a vicious cycle. And I'm wondering how you're doing now with that, and are you still finding yourself trying to correct things in certain ways, or is there a mentality that you're still working on? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I, I, it's gone through different stages. I've been out now for five and a half years. And there was certainly a time when even the desire to clean up my mess and fix things was certainly driven from a very, it's almost like, you know, the whole thing of me being in Nexium was an ethical breach that I had to fix. Wow. You know, and that, and that, and, and feeling guilty and beating myself up about making the decision and bringing in so many people and made that such a huge, colossal 
public fuck up. Um, and then one of my cult therapists was like, you can clean up your mess without feeling shitty about yourself. And that was a shift. You know, that was a, that was a big, I mean, I'm constantly catching myself deprogram things. Like I think I'm through it all. And then I'll do something like, wow, that's totally actually one of my new friends here in Atlanta was like, that's not a little bit like Nexium talk. I'm like, you know what? It really is. And I don't need to think that way anymore. And Nippy and I are, my husband and I are, are, for those of you who don't, haven't watched The Vow or heard our podcast, Nippy's my husband and my co-host and my, um, my rock. <laughs> Thank goodness I've been going through this journey with him that I have somebody on a daily basis to be like, okay, wait, is this what we think? Is this what I think? Did Keith teach us this? Yeah. If he does and I do think it, where did it come from originally so it's not from Keith? Yeah. That's been a huge thing is like there's there are tenants mixed in some good things about the truths of the universe that were good, obviously, and I don't want to throw it all out. So finding out where those things came from originally has been a big part of my part of my healing. Yeah, that's amazing. And I'm so glad that you have a support group that you can go to for that um, with all with the therapists that you mentioned and the experts. And I'm sure just having your podcast is therapy. I know it's been therapy for me talking to all of these Mm. cult experts and guests and you get to kind of reshape some of your perspectives based on things that you're learning. Uh, What are some of your favorite things that you have learned from your podcast guests? Uh, I I mean, personally, as a survivor, I feel less alone. And um, with every person who tells their story, I feel like less shame. And I think that's such a big drive for me. We, we have a quote about like blowing the lid off the shame. And I think a lot of why these things continue to exist is when, if and when people do wake up, they're so ashamed that they were duped and that they fell for it or that they stayed or they didn't see the red flags. And then they go out into the world and they don't talk about it. But because people are talking about it more, it gives other people permission to talk about it. And then these groups can't thrive in the same way because now we have this education, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um I think your your and our podcast strive for that, and that's and there's many you know other resources out there that do similar things. I think that's so important. Um, oh damn, what was your question? <laughs> what your favorite thing that you've learned? From oh, favorite things, yes, yeah. favorite things. Thank you. Um, I think also, like with every guest, I always try to glean the healing thing that that's worked for them, and try to incorporate that into my in my toolbox personally. But ultimately. The most healing thing is is learning the template. And, you know, with every guest we've had, we're like, wow, that's just like this. And wow, that's this, it's the same thing, the love bombing and the isolation and the, you know, um, us versus them and, the, you know, all the things that that are the, 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 the checklists um, to mm-hmm. see the template so clearly um, and to fortify, oh, yeah, there is a definition and this is this meets this definition. Um, but what's the most interesting thing I've learned? Uh, I guess that this that they're everywhere. That cultic yeah. and abuses of power and, and, and groups that use a coercive control are everywhere. And arming ourselves to the knowledge is like the best thing that we could do. Yeah, absolutely. If there was anything that the vow left out, which I know you've covered so much in your book. Besides that, besides your personal story or what you've seen in the vow, do you think that there has been anything that you want to share with everyone that hasn't been spoken about? Sure. Yeah, I think that probably the thing that 
I mean, if there was going to be a season three, which I'm pretty sure there will not be, but if there was, um, there's so much to say about the Mexican community mm. and the political figures that were involved. And I can hear you. <laughs> if you sneaking in, <laughs> you're very not quiet, but I love you. I was just talking about you and how grateful I am for you. Just so you know. Um, so I think that's something that, wasn't covered. Um, I do feel like the vow season two didn't really explain, um, how much scientific experiment there was going on. And I say scientifically, scientific experiments loosely. There was a lot of brain studies and studies on Tourette's and OCD. Um, and, and that was not peer reviewed or set up properly in any way, shape or form Mm. with even consent. And people were, you know, doing things like coming off their medicines and, if they were told, if they were, um, you know, having a bad reaction, the scientists in charge who's still not renounced Keith would say things like, you know, I think you should get an EM or have a bullshit session, which was like the SOP version of an EM, which is basically you trying to figure out how you were not being at cause. Like if you're upset or having an emotional reaction or feeling anything other than joy, which would happen if you're coming off your meds, that that was something that you could overcome in a session not wow. like you need to see a doctor yeah that is so dangerous that's the equivalent of just saying it just so pray dangerous. about it exactly it's a spiritual bypassing in a personal development group so that wasn't really covered um it's really hard to to watch something like that and it's like it's like watching a horror movie where you're like don't go in the basement don't go in the basement like i'm watching it going you know, but ask them about this, you know, or like yeah. show them this evidence, you know, and, and that's how that's, that was just difficult. I would love to have seen more challenge or pushback, which may have happened. It just wasn't in the, in the documentary. Yeah. I think my yelling at the screen moments were probably to the people who are still, like we mentioned before, just still for Keith and they're outside the the mm-hmm. prison dancing around. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you? And they know all of the evidence is right there in front of them. It's accessible. But I guess that information bubble was just too impenetrable for them to really understand the gravity of it. And then also that that poor woman, actually the two, the two sisters from Mexico being locked in a room for two years or not locked, but mentally locked. What do you think about that? I mean, from your mentally. So she was for those who don't know, she was put into this room and she said, you can't come out until you've you've fixed whatever it is that she needed to fix about herself, which her grievance was she kissed someone other than Keith, like she kissed somebody and she was put in this room and told that she had to stay there and it wasn't technically locked. She could have left, although she didn't have money. They had her papers. She they were threatening to deport her. So, of course, there were a lot of things at stake. But from your perspective, Sarah, is that something that surprised you or is it something that you felt like, oh, no, I could totally see with the way that we were trained that she would feel she needs to be obedient and stay in that room? I mean, both. It surprised me because I didn't know about it. I've known about it for a while, like since the trial. But when we left, we didn't know about it. I thought Mm -hmm. Danielle had gone back to Mexico. I didn't know she was in Knox Woods that whole time we were there. Like Nikki and I were getting married. All sorts of things were happening and she was in that room. Um, That being said, given I, I don't know if I would have done that because I wasn't as indoctrinated and I wasn't having a relationship with Keith. So I don't know. 
it's almost like everything that happened, knowing the mindset, I can put myself into it and, and say, I understand why she stayed. Or even mm -hmm. the people who are still loyal, I understand why they're still loyal. Mm -hmm. I understand that they believe it's a smear, a smear campaign. They believe that he's done no wrong. It, it cannot be that Keith is bad because what, what would that mean? Like imagine being that person like, what would that mean about me if I stayed <laughs> and he is a pedophile? It can't be. It can't be that he's a pedophile. Yeah. It must be FBI conspiracy to plant evidence and take down this garden gnome from upstate New York. This garden, you know, like they, they have. Sorry. So, so like they have, they have, right? Yeah. So they have to, like, you know, keep the narrative going, right? And say that all of us, all of the women, it's all our false narrative. Like we're all lying, all of us. Yeah, it's easier to believe because your whole world will come crashing down, like you said, mm -hmm. if you realized you were supporting someone who actually is a monster, and. Man, yeah. just the deeper and deeper it got, because initially in the first episode, and I think they do this on purpose, first episode, season one of The Vow, you're like, oh, yeah, this seems like a good thing. Oh, yeah, they're actually helping people. People's lives are being changed for the better. Mm -hmm. And then slowly you get into this descent of these just horrific things that he is doing to these women and yourself included. And I, I can't imagine what you must have gone through. And I think... It says a lot about you when when I was watching the last season of The Vow, when you saw what Lauren's sentence was and you were emotional and you were so relieved that she wasn't going to jail, even though she had victimized you in a way. And it's it's beautiful because it just shows that you haven't lost your humanity and that you can still have empathy for someone knowing that they were also victimized. And I, man, watching Nancy as well, I got a little teary-eyed when she was crying and I'm like, wow, I actually feel some compassion for her not to minimize anything or the pain that she has personally caused as well. But I think it's a, it's a glimmer of hope for us to know that even after going through these difficult situations and being involved in these high demand groups that we can still have empathy and compassion for people who are damaging other people's lives. I appreciate that. Yeah, of course. <laughs> it's been a it's been a journey for sure. Yeah. yeah. So before we go, how are you doing just in life? Like how how are you, Sarah? <laughs> <laughs> other than pulling my neck in a fitness class at the YMCA the other day. Oh, no. Um I'm I'm good. I it's been a big move transitioning here and trying to be a mom and maintain the podcast and um and go through season two, which was a which was it's always it's just a big onslaught of um interacting with people in the world and everyone mm -hmm. wants to talk about it and, and and in many ways I love it in other ways it's just just trying to figure out how to allocate my energy is difficult yeah um and to have found myself in this weird space that we're in um I find it rewarding I find it meaningful I also find it draining and uplifting all at the same time um, just, I feel like I'm constantly just trying to find the balance of like doing this and then taking care of myself and, you know, being a parent and, you know, trying to listen to stuff on my audible that's not cult content preparing for the next mm -hmm. episode. So it's just a lot of juggling, uh, a lot of balls being dropped, to be honest. And I'm 
I'm usually a pretty organized person and it's it's just hard like when we're like our podcast right now is in our living room. Hopefully by next week we'll be in the, in the office when we ha- when the desk arrives. So just <laughs> trying to like, you know, keep it all going. <laughs> yeah. Well, you are very inspiring to me especially because I I also aspire to be mom soon after I get married we want to have kids and I'm like, how does Sarah do it with two uh, kids and a podcast, <laughs> a very successful podcast and you're being guests on other people's shows and just being in the public eye like that, I can imagine the hundreds of emails you guys must get all of the time of people wanting to talk and share their stories as well. So just from one creator to another and cult survivor to another, I appreciate you and thank you for what you're doing in this space. Oh, thank you. I appreciate the great questions. It's always, um, I was saying to Nippy, there's some that feel like it's it's hard and others that are just enjoyable and this is an enjoyable one when when somebody gets it and they don't ask stupid questions and um <laughs> you know it's, it's 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 just part of the part of the journey and I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with the hashtag i got out yes movement please tell everyone what that is Okay. So yeah, so it's a uh, I'm a, a co-founding um member with a, a group of of um ex cult members who really wanted to harness the power of a hashtag similar to hashtag me too where people can use the hashtag to share their stories and like I said earlier blow the lid off the shame. The more people mm. talk, the more people share, the more people educate and don't have to be embarrassed and I to to just to be aligned with them and people like yourself it it just makes me feel like there's hope um for the world and that yeah. that's the best thing is to just not be like a, a, a lone soldier because that's no fun yeah that's amazing i'm glad that you're giving people a resource mm-hmm. to share their stories and share it publicly without the shame as you mentioned it's it's such a huge thing and it's it's always going to be a little shameful because we're taught to be ashamed of that type of thing so i'm yeah. glad that people can talk about it more and hopefully a lot of that judgment goes away and the more people listen to your podcast listen to my podcast and everyone else who's doing the work realize that it can happen to anyone mm-hmm. no one's immune and when you do get sucked into something like that having a support group is so important so support those people who have left not demonize them not put them down so with that in mind yeah. do you have a linda listen statement a sassy thing you want to say to keith or nexium mm-hmm. or anyone that's pissed you off or you can go the inspirational route if you choose to say something to our listeners to uplift them i'm gonna go the ins- i'm gonna go i'm gonna do one of each i'll do okay. um yeah i mean i have a linda listen for all the instagram social media spiritual influencers like you have no right being a life coach and charging money for any form of workshop or seminar um get a real job and uh, put your cigar down and um yeah just get a get a life okay that's that's for the all right those for the people who and they know who they are yeah and then the positive inspirational one is um linda listen you got out this is amazing go tell your story and shine your light and don't be embarrassed it happens to the best of them amazing i love that so much so for anyone who wants to dive further into your story and read all the things listen and watch and do all the things where can they find you your websites your handles your book which we are going to do a giveaway guys we are going to give away one of sarah's books and we haven't figured out the parameters but it will be in the show notes below or the the captions below on youtube so take it away sarah 
Yeah, something about tagging and sharing. And in the interim, you can find me at Sarah Edmondson on Instagram. A little bit culty is um, also on Instagram, and we have a website, littlebitculty.com. That's where the resource page is, um, and you can listen to us anywhere you listen to podcasts, and also over on Patreon where we do uh, lots of fun bonus content, bonus episodes. Uh, we have different tiers. If you've been in a cult, you will laugh. We have um, the fanatics, the loyalists, the flying monkeys, and the inner circle are the names of our tiers. Yes. <laughs> and each tier comes with all sorts of goodies. Um, so come find us there. And I'm um, working on a second book and oh, helping with hashtag I got out. And that's all I can say for now. But please do come join us on those platforms. Yes. Did you say the title of your book? Oh, sorry. No, my book is called Scarred, the True Story of How I Escaped Nexium, the Cult That Bound My Life. And I did narrate the Audible, which is fun. Um, you can get it on ebook or hard copy wherever you buy books. Yes, I highly recommend. I popped my earpod in on set one day and listened to the whole thing in a day. So <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> it's it's very inspiring it's gut-wrenching it's all of the things so definitely check that out oh, thank, thank you, you so much sarah for joining me it has been incredible i really appreciate your time i know you're so busy so thank you so much for being oh, here thank you for having me that was really fun and good luck with your podcast and good for you for shining light and being part of this team. It's important. Yeah. Thank you so much. So for everyone listening, um, thank you so much for your time as well. I do have a Patreon and I want to thank my new members, Stephen, Samantha, Steve, and William. I really appreciate you joining us in the cultiverse, as Sarah Nibby would say. And for everyone watching, follow your highest excitement, be conscious, and be well. Thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, it would mean a lot if you could like and subscribe on YouTube and leave a review or a comment to help with our visibility. You can also find me on social media at cults to consciousness or reach out by email at cults to consciousness at gmail.com.